This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, student minister Aaron Adams will be teaching the message. Good morning, Mount Carmel. So if I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name is Aaron Adams, and I'm the student minister here, but I have the privilege this morning to be up here hanging out with you guys. And So as I was thinking this week, as I was preparing for this Sunday, I was reflecting on some times where I have needed help in life. I can assure you there are many times where I've needed help, so I didn't have to think very long before I, I, I knew the story that I wanted to share with you this morning. Um, so here's, here's a little bit about me. I am a fairly independent person. I kind of just like to do my own thing in my own space. Not that I don't like people or that I like working with teams of people at times, but for the most part, I'm just an independent kind of person. I'm also a not so fairly stubborn person, as in like I am a very stubborn person. You can just ask my parents uh, about me growing up. I have plenty of stories to share. And ask my wife, Elise, and she would tell you that I am no different today than I was when I was a high school boy when it comes to stubbornness. So for me, asking for help is not always uh, an easy task. But I was reflecting on my early high school days and the time when I got my driver's license in my very first car. And so you can probably remember to the time where you got your driver's license and your very first car. My very first car was a 1988 Toyota Camry hatchback, okay? Um, No offense to anyone in the room, it was a grandma car, okay? It was my grandma's car. She generously gave it to me to drive, and it worked well. But as a high school boy, you kind of have, you have an idea of what you want. Uh, Maybe a cool truck, maybe a little bit faster car, manual, go fast. But as you get your license, it is like the gateway to independence, right? Because it's nobody can stop me now, right? And so I remember... This idea, getting my license, excited that I have a car to drive. Now, whenever I am hungry, I can just drive myself to McDonald's and get my own Big Mac because mom and dad would normally say no, right? The possibilities were endless. I can go to the movies with my friends. I can go to their houses whenever I want. We can go out to eat whenever we want, and it's going to be awesome, right? Everything's good until that gas gauge starts to go down and then you have to turn back to mom and dad and say, hey, mom and dad. And they're like, nope, son, you are on your own now. Your responsibility. But I can't tell you how many times when I was learning to drive and when I first got my license, how many times I got lost, okay? So this was for me, it was before Siri on my phone, before GPS was like mainstream. So I did not have a GPS. They might've started coming out with them but I had to print out the step-by-step directions if I wanted to go anywhere uh, that I didn't know where I was going. Now, some of you are like, well, I had to pull out the atlas and the map, okay? But just humor me for a minute, though. I had to print out those step-by-step directions, and Lord help me if there was construction or a detour and I somehow got off of those directions. I would just be wandering the streets forever. And I can't tell you how many times I had to call my dad for help. And I would, I would dial him up and I would say, Dad, I am lost again. And he'd be like, where are you at? Like, I don't know. Like, there's a UDF to my right. Like, I don't know. But my dad somehow always seemed to be this human GPS. He always seemed to somehow get me back onto the main roads, get me home. 
And there was a difference for me. If I was lost with my friends, if I had friends in the car and we were lost, it was good. We'd just have fun. Might still have to call my dad. Dad, we're somewhere in Kentucky. I don't know where we're at. <laughs> okay, well, let's cross the river again, right? But if I was lost by myself, I can't tell you how much stress and anxiety that stirred deep inside my soul. And so I can look back and I can laugh about that now, but it was the fear of the unknown for me. The fear of, am I gonna be late and not get where I need to, to go? The fear of, am I ever gonna make it back home? Yes, I, I knew I was gonna make it back home. My dad would get me there, I'd eventually find it. But the fear of the unknown, and maybe you've been there before. It might not be driving for you, but the fear of the unknown often stirs a deep anxiety and stress inside of us. And maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's a health issue, a health issue for yourself or a family member. And the fear is, I don't know what this diagnosis means. I don't know what it means for me. I don't know what this diagnosis means for them. Are we going to be able to continue to do the things that we want to do? It's the fear of the unknown or... Or maybe it's a, a job, a job loss. It's how am I going to pay the bills now? Or you're at the age where job transitions are increasingly more difficult. And so what's going to happen next? What's going to happen to my family? It's the fear of the unknown. Or maybe it's relationships. Nobody told me that marriage was going to be this difficult. Nobody told me I was gonna to have to encounter this in my marriage. What's gonna happen in my marriage? Are we gonna make it through this? Fear of the unknown. Or maybe it's a relationship, a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Do they look at me the same way that I look at them? Do they love me the same way that I love them? Is this someday going to lead to marriage? What if they leave me? What's gonna happen next? Fear of the unknown. Or maybe it's, as parents, relationships with our children. You know, for me, as a dad, with my two boys, Cameron and Cole, I want nothing more than them to grow up to be respectable people. I want them to love the Lord, and I want them to love people. But it's a broken world. I'm a broken person. I'm not a perfect dad. And so what if that doesn't happen? Fear of the unknown. Or maybe it's relationships with our parents. Maybe this discord Maybe there's frustration. Maybe the relationships are broken. They're aging. We're aging. What's going to happen? Fear of the unknown. It causes a, a deep stress and anxiety deep inside of our soul. And so in John chapter 14, the disciples of Jesus are facing this very real tension. The same tension that we face today, this fear of the unknown. See, for the disciples in John chapter 14, they're coming to the realization that the earthly ministry of Jesus is coming to an end, and things aren't going to be the way that they have been in years past. See, the disciples, they have begun to build this very strong bond, this very strong relationship with Jesus on a very personal level nonetheless. See, Jesus did not walk the streets of Jerusalem and post help-wanted signs for his disciples. Jesus didn't hold open interviews. 
for his disciples. Jesus didn't ask just anyone to become his disciple. It doesn't mean that not just anyone could follow Jesus, but when it came to his disciples, it was a very personal thing. And so these disciples have spent countless hours and days and months and even years following Jesus. These disciples have eaten with Jesus on a personal level, on a regular basis. These disciples have traveled near and far with Jesus. These disciples have witnessed Jesus say things and teach things that created a buzz and turned heads. These disciples have witnessed Jesus perform miracles that people thought impossible. These disciples have witnessed Jesus have conversations with people who they initially thought Jesus had no business talking to. These disciples have seen Jesus pray and they have surely prayed with Jesus. These disciples have seen the crowds flock to Jesus and the crowds adore Jesus. They've also seen the crowds stand at arm's length from Jesus. They've heard people question Jesus. The disciples have a very real, very personal relationship with Jesus. See, I believe every interaction that Jesus had with his disciples up to this point has been very intentional and for a purpose. But Jesus has been working with the end in mind. Jesus knew that his earthly ministry would not last forever. And Jesus knew that his earthly ministry would lead him to the cross. And so Jesus has spent the time with his disciples in preparation for this moment. Jesus has been preparing them in an intentional way for what is next. But now more than ever, it feels more real for the disciples. So read with me John chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 25 through 31. I'm reading from the NIV, and I'm going to read all those verses at once, and then we'll kind of come back and see what we can see. It says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. And so for the disciples, every interaction they have had with Jesus is leading up to this point. I believe that every conversation that Jesus has had with his disciples, whether it's one-on-one or as a group, was intentional and for a purpose. I believe every miracle that Jesus allowed the disciples to be a part of was intentional and for a purpose. I believe every meal that Jesus shared with his disciples was intentional and for a purpose. I believe every conversation that Jesus had with his disciples that included other people was intentional and for a purpose. And it was leading to this point. 
And so Jesus says, I'm telling you these things while I am still with you. So this is a gulp moment for the disciples. Because this isn't the first time that Jesus has told his disciples that he would be going away. It's not the first time that Jesus has strived to prepare his disciples for what was next. But now it's more real than it ever was for the disciples. And so they begin drilling Jesus with questions. Their minds are spinning. It's almost like when a teacher has told you, hey, you should start studying for this test or exam now. You can thank me later. And then we say, oh, we're good. It's okay. I've got time. And then it comes test time. It becomes exam time. And you say, I'm not ready. Can, I, can we like push this test back? Can I file for an extension? Like this is where I imagine, where I envision the disciples are at. Jesus, we are not ready for this. And so they begin drilling Jesus with questions. And I think it's really telling. This is in John chapter 14. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus, you've told us that you are leaving. Jesus, you've told us that you are going to the Father. But how do we get there? How do, how do we get there? Like Jesus, like you've said, go to Judea and we've gone to Judea with you. Jesus, you've said to, to go to Jerusalem and we've gone to Jerusalem with you. Jesus, you've said, go to Samaria. We've gone to Samaria with you, but, but now you're saying you're going away. Now you're saying you're going to the Father. I just, I don't know how to get there. Like you can feel the urgency in their questions. And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. Thomas, it's me. The way to the Father, the way to, to heaven, the way to eternal life, it's, it's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. A few verses later, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Philip's like, Jesus, we have, we have met a lot of people we have had dinner with a lot of people and I don't think your dad was there. I don't think your father was there. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I was napping. Maybe I just was out of it. But I don't think I've met him. I'm, I'm confused, Jesus. Like these are genuine questions that the disciples are asking in the last moments with Jesus before he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he would be arrested. Jesus, just show me the Father and then I'll be quiet. Jesus, just show me the Father and we'll be good. Like, my heart can rest then. Just, just show me the Father. You've talked about the Father. You're going to the Father. Just introduce me to him. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Philip, we're one. The way to the Father's through me. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, asks, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus, why, 
why do we get this information? Why, why can't the world, the rest of the world, why can't the rest of the city, why can't you tell them the things that you're telling us right now? Jesus, I'm confused. I don't, I don't understand it. I'm worried. I'm fearful. I don't know what's going to happen next. Fear of the unknown. And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. These questions, their minds are spinning. What's going to happen next? This is what it says, verse 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And I don't know about you. Maybe you're like me. The idea of the Holy Spirit, at least growing up, felt so weird to me. It felt so confusing to me. It felt so strange to me. I felt like I could grasp the idea of God the Father, God the creator of the universe. Like I felt like I could understand, okay, there's a God that is, has created the heavens and the earth, a God that created the sun and the moon, all the animals, land. Like I felt like I could understand that and I felt like I could understand you know, God the Son, you know, Jesus, fully God, fully man sent to earth for a miraculous rescue mission for us. Like, I felt like I could understand that, but the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel like I knew how that worked. I didn't feel like I understood that. I didn't feel like I could get the point of that. And if you're feeling that right now, then you're feeling exactly what the disciples felt. Because for them, they're like, what, what, is, what does that mean? See, the, the disciples have seen the Holy Spirit work through Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus at his baptism as a commissioning for his ministry on earth. We see the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We see the Holy Spirit work throughout the ministry of Jesus, but for the disciples, what, is, what does this mean? Because Jesus, I cannot envision a world where I am not walking in lockstep with you. I cannot envision a world where you are not the one teaching. I cannot envision a world where you are not the one performing the miracles. What do you mean an advocate? What do you, do, what do, what do you mean a helper? And that's exactly what Jesus is meaning. An advocate and a helper on your behalf. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he not only defeated death, but he allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon his disciples in the church. That's what's so important. Because what Jesus said right there began to change the world. When Jesus said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you, that's world changing. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he not only defeated death, but he allowed the Holy Spirit to come upon his disciples and his church, and that in turn began to change the world. And we see waves of that today. See, the, for, the whole, for, the, for the disciples, they're like, 
How are we going to operate without Jesus here? How are we going to remember everything that you have taught us, Jesus, when we can't even remember what we had for breakfast? Who's going to perform the miracles? Who's going to, who's going to heal people? Who's going, to, who's going to teach? And Jesus says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When Jesus went to the cross, he left us with two considerable resources, and the first one was the Holy Spirit. It may have felt like a desertion to the disciples in that moment, but it was so far from it. It may have felt like the world was crumbling, that it was ending, but what Jesus knew and what the disciples could not fully comprehend was that it was just beginning. And that's what's so amazing. So when Jesus went to the cross, he left us with two considerable resources, the first one being the Holy Spirit. And the second one is his peace. Verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Peace. We all crave it. We all desire that, right? For me, peace looks like a, a cabin in, a, in the woods with my family, a few friends, nobody else around, beautiful scenery, places to hike. That's peaceful. Because when I'm there, when I'm at a place of, of peace like that, it feels like all of my problems and the world's problems cease to exist. Maybe peace for you is, is something different. Maybe that's going to the beach. Maybe that's floating in the pool. Maybe it's going on a walk, riding a motorcycle, reading a good book. All of those things are good, and I welcome them often. But they're only temporary. They are fleeting, because eventually I have to leave that cabin in the woods. And then the struggles, my own personal struggles, the struggles of this world all come flooding back. But the peace that Jesus is giving his disciples in this moment, it's something totally different. It's not fleeting. It's forever. It's constant. And the peace of Jesus doesn't mean that there isn't pain. The peace of Jesus doesn't mean that there isn't heartache. It doesn't mean that we're not troubled. See, Jesus was even troubled. Jesus was troubled at the death of his friend Lazarus. Jesus wept there. Jesus cried there. Jesus was troubled, but he was at peace because he was confident that the plan of his father was better than any plan out there. Jesus had peace even in pain. Jesus was troubled when he was tempted in the desert by Satan. Jesus, fully God, fully man, felt the same feelings that we feel. Temptation is hard. Temptation is difficult. Jesus was troubled in that moment, but he was at peace because he was confident in the plan of his father. 
Jesus was troubled by the cross because the cross was painful, especially when you're an innocent man. Nobody in their right mind would want to be interrogated, spit on, whipped, and have nails driven through their hands and their feet and hung on a cross. Those thoughts were troubling for Jesus. But Jesus was at peace because he knew the plan of his father. Jesus was at peace because he knew if this allows Aaron an opportunity to come to know my father and have eternal life in heaven, then okay. Jesus was at peace because he says, if this is what needs to happen for mankind to be made right with God, then okay. The peace that Jesus was offering his disciples and that he was offering us, the church, doesn't mean that there's pain. But we can find the peace of Jesus Christ even in pain. And let's finish up, and it says this in verse 28. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus did not want the coming cross and the resurrection to be thrown aside as some mystical magic trick or some simple coincidence. Jesus is telling his disciples, I am telling you what's gonna happen now so when it happens, you will believe me. And it's not just, I was crazy. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. The prince is in reference to Satan. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. And at that, when they left, they very well could have been leaving to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be arrested. Jesus was truly preparing his disciples for what was to come in his last hours. What the disciples were about to witness certainly would shake them to their very core. But the beautiful truth in this is that the Holy Spirit and the peace of Jesus Christ that was given to his disciples in that moment is offered to you and I. And here's what I love even better. Those disciples were imperfect men. Those disciples had many fears. Those disciples had many doubts and would continue to have doubts. Those disciples had many questions. Yet Jesus was just saying, wrestle with the things of God. Wrestle with the truth in here. And when you do that, you'll have access to the Holy Spirit who will continue to teach you, to guide you, and remind you of everything I've taught you. And you have my peace, the peace that allows me to go to the cross to do this. 
you can also have. I look at the story of Peter. Peter's one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest followers. And Peter, just like every other disciple, was broken at this time, felt battered. He felt so under-equipped, so inadequate. And when Jesus is arrested, Peter watches from afar as Jesus is interrogated and beaten. And he has lost all boldness to even admit to a young girl that he even knew Jesus. Peter felt so low, felt so broken, so disheartened. They couldn't even admit to a young girl that, yeah, I know that guy. I just know him. And then Peter moves on into Acts, the book of Acts, and he's restored with a boldness that can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter could not do that on his own. He's restored with this boldness and this courage that could only come from the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's able to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. He's able to talk about the very man that he could not even admit knowing just a bit before. And it began to change the world. And it started just right there with Peter just being willing to wrestle with the things of God, being a willing vessel for the Holy Spirit to work through. And look what happened. What would that look like for us? What would that look like for for our church to continue to wrestle with the truth of God? What would that do for our families and for our communities? I see the power of the Holy Spirit in you. I see the power of the Holy Spirit in me. If you were to tell me in middle school and high school that I would stand up here and talk to you, I would have called you crazy. And it is nothing that I have done. Zero. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. I look at our our Houston mission team. Those of you in the room, welcome back. I look at those men and women and I look at all the talents that they have. The amazing work that they have done. But what's even more powerful than that is the Holy Spirit, God working through them to instill hope and people who feel so lost and so broken. The Holy Spirit's taking broken and lost people to build up broken and lost people. Like that's nothing that our, our church could do. That's nothing that us as individual men and women could do. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working. That's what's so beautiful about this. What's so beautiful about this is that when Jesus went to the cross, it was really just the beginning And the disciples could not comprehend that until they were in it and living it. And we get to look back and see the Holy Spirit's work. And we get to look forward to the continued work of the Holy Spirit and living with his peace that is lasting and not fleeting. Let me pray for you. Lord, I'm so thankful for you, church. 
I'm thankful that when you went to the cross, the story wasn't over. I'm thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to do things that we could never achieve or do on our own, to create a a boldness and a courage in us that we could never achieve on our own. God, I'm thankful for your peace that the world can never give us. It's not temporary, but it's sustaining. God, I pray as, as your church that we harness the power of the Holy Spirit. We hold that tight, and we know that we can have your peace. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.